Welcome everybody to a very special Haven of Horror episode. Uh, with this being we're being recorded on Christmas Eve, we're taking a look at a couple of Christmas horror movies, uh, so to speak. We've got my buddy Doolittle here as usual. Uh, and Doolittle, we're talking about a very important film, a very influential film. Um, Black Christmas. Uh, I don't know about you, but I kind of felt that this was, I can see the influence this had, especially on like Halloween. But I well, think this movie has been done better now. I think so too. Um, I think um, by Halloween is really when it's like perfected because, um, you know, Austin kind of brought it up in another episode and I think a Halloween episode that it's kind of like the like Sam Raimi Spider-Man of like slasher movies where like, oh, that's just how you do it. And then let's try and kind of do that. This is um, still kind of in its infancy, but like you can still tell very much the what, what, what we're taking from, you know, which is really interesting. Yeah. So just to give a, bl- a brief plot synopsis, uh, basically at a, a college campus, um, this, uh, what do they call the female version of the fraternity? Um, a sorority. A sorority uh, is getting strange calls, really creepy calls, and one by one they go missing. Um, yes. That's pretty much the plot of the movie. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cut and dry, um, given the genre it's in and, and all that jazz. Um, but definitely very effective in the beginning and in the end. And there's also some stuff in the middle that I really like. But I think we, we, we talked about this a little bit before we went on air. But um, I think I, I think we, this movie kind of drags a little bit in the middle, like to be kind of honest, you know? Mm-hmm. So let's start with, with pacing before we get into plot details then, because I agree. Uh, funnily enough, though, at first, because uh, I was taking notes about this movie, I actually had noted, oh, you know, the pacing is, like, really good. Uh, but then we got to that set, what I guess you could say is the second act of the film. And that's when we started talking, and I was like, oh, God, this has just come to a standstill. And I had yeah. a theory about this. Um, to compare this to Halloween, I guess, just because they are, they are very close in release. Uh, Halloween has... One main character and the killer. And then a couple of side characters, you know, that are not too important. This has twice that, if not more. And I think the problem with the pacing is you got to check in with the sorority. You got to check in with the police officers. You got to check in with this character and that character. So it's, it's all over the place. And none of the plots really get enough time to breathe. Or one of them isn't as interesting as the other. Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, I think there's a case to be made that kind of Jess is probably, like, like, the, like, protagonist of the piece, and she's probably the one that has, like, the most kind of, like, stakes going on because of the whole thing with um, um, her, her and her boyfriend arguing about whether or not she should get an abortion, which we should absolutely talk about because it's fascinating. Um... And so there's there's an argument to be made there that she's probably and also probably the earliest final girl, um, kind of trope uh, in a in a slasher movie, which is interesting. I, I I didn't expect that to be pioneered this early, which is interesting. 
but you're right. I think that there's a lot of moving parts. And I mean, it's a pretty surprisingly well-rounded cast. I mean, you've got like Margot Kidder, you've got John Saxon, um, Lynn Griffin. Like it's it's pretty like well-rounded like cast. Well, what's interesting is you mentioned that, and I'm looking into the final girl thing because I'm interested now to see, you know, like where that did start. But it is important to note, note that uh, this and Texas Chainsaw Massacre came out on the same day. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Um, yeah, and I, I agree with you that I think she is the main character. But even with her, I think she gets a little bit lost because you got all those sorority sisters. Some of them get more t- screen time than others. You've got that completely other plot with the cops. It's almost like there's two movies in one here. Um, and I think it would have been better if they cut a lot of the police stuff and just focused on the sorority as they go missing one by one. Yeah, I I think that um, I I can I can totally see where you're coming from. I like the idea that Jess is facing kind of like, um, kind of not scrutiny, but like kind of like disapproval over her choice to, um, go through with an abortion. I think that you would probably need like authority figures for that, um, because that that is you know something interesting, um, for sure. Uh, so just to follow up with that, from what I am reading on here, uh, I looked up the final girl trope, and there is an argument to be made. It's either Jess or Sally from Texas Chainsaw, just because they did come out so like on the same day, at least here in the States. Yeah. Um, the earliest example that we have, but it's not, the, it's not truly a final girl thing, she's more of a victim, is the main character from Last House on the Left, the 72 film. Right, right. Which that film is like definitely like a grindhouse, like mm-hmm. um, you know, like it's it's this this is of probably a little bit more higher um standard um than than that movie. Um not to say that it's bad, just that like it's it's just a different kind of like like thing in general. Like this is a slasher, that's like a very <laughs> like like dirty um grindhouse movie. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean I, I think you're completely right here. The the two uh first final girls would be have to be this one and Sally from Texas Chainsaw. Yeah. Um probably. So I guess what we'll what we'll do is jump straight into the actual movie. Um sure. we got some of the side stuff around the movie out. Um I like that the movie starts and this is where I was thinking Halloween. Because this movie starts just like Halloween does from the killer's perspective. Yes, that is a big thing uh, with this movie is this is the first time we have like a... Well, actually, there's an argument to be made that Peeping Tom uh, is probably the first to have like a point of view kind of perspective for the killer. But this is the first time where it's not just like a camera. Like, this is a voyeuristic, like, we are looking through the eyeballs of uh, this disturbed figure kind of a thing. It's not just a camera, like in Peeping Tom. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the lack of music makes it even creepier, because it's very obvious that this guy is, like, watching someone, but we just don't know who yet. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, and then we shift focus to our protagonist, uh, Jess, and her friends, including a young Margot Kidder. Um, yeah. Although, I don't know if it was just me and I started to tune out towards the end. Did you see what happened to Margot Kidder's character? Um, Margot Kidder's character... Uh, I do remember... No, she dies. She gets murdered. Oh, okay, does she? The glass figurine. Oh, I'm, yeah, I must have completely missed that. I don't remember that. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting as well kinda... to note... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just gonna say, I was kinda, um, like, tired as well, uh, for sure, so I, I understand what you mean. So interesting to note, this movie was made for whopping $620,000. Um, but it doesn't look cheap for a 70s movie. Um, mm-hmm. From what 70s films I have seen, which admittedly is not a lot, 70s is a big blind spot for me other than the big ones. Uh, I think it looks it looks well enough. Did you have any issues with the director, the way it's directed or anything? Because you notice that stuff more than I do. Nah, it's Bob Clark. He's a good director. Um, he also did a Christmas story, um, nineteen eighty three. So, uh, he's he's a pretty capable director. He he did he did a pretty good job with the, you know, the cinematography and like the shot composition and stuff like that, and the lighting. The lighting um is excellent in this movie with Billy the Killer, which we're probably going to talk about, uh, pretty soon. But um, Billy in this movie, like like he has a definite presence with the lighting and. The way that we're obstructing his like how he looks um, mm-hmm. without because the slasher villains um, you know like like Jason or, or Michael Myers we've um, you know have like the face like the the face mask but with Billy we don't really have that but we're still trying to obstruct the, the the face a little bit so that he has a little bit more anonymity. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we definitely, I definitely have to talk about, uh, Billy. Um, and I also, I do at least a little bit want to compare this to the remake. I know you haven't seen that, but I'll just talk about that briefly at the end. Um, the noises that come out of the phone when they answer are fucking terrifying. They're uh, <laughs> like bone chilling. Yeah, they're like deeply disturbing. Like sometimes, I like you listen to some of those phone calls, and you can't even believe that it's like a human being. It sounds like an an animal, and there's like a very kind of uncomfortable uh, implication about like like his. Well, not even implication. I mean, th- this is a very sexually charged killer. It seems like. Um, you know, which just adds an extra layer of like, oh god, that's so disturbing, kind of a thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And I agree. I mean, the first time that that we see him, you know, interacting with the characters is just him yelling sexual obscenities. Yeah. Um, and then threatening to kill Margot Pitter when she, you know, insults him. Yep. I, uh, this is just a fun little thing, but I love that that the old woman, the one that's, like, in charge of the sorority, has alcohol everywhere. Yeah, she's a complete wreck. Like, <laughs> she has alcohol, like, she hides it, like, in her book. 
Like I want one of those books. I I want. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. Um, She's she's just a complete uh, wreck, and I I think a lot of people are drinking in this movie and and cursing. mm -hmm. Um, between that and John Saxon being in this movie, I, I hereby dub this the prequel to Nightmare on Elm Street. Because uh, <laughs> she, she's just like Nancy's mom, always drinking. No, yeah, Nancy's mom is like a wine mom who's like constantly drinking like all the time. Um, it's crazy. Um, we'll we'll get into the abortion conversation because I think that's the big thing that's interesting with this movie, other than the killer. Um, but what I found interesting is I looked up a little bit on the making of this movie, and Carl Zitterer, I probably mispronounced that. Um, who composed the the film for this, or composed for this film? Uh, yeah. He created the music by tying forks, combs, and knives onto the strings of a piano to warp the sound. That's really cool. I I didn't um I didn't pick up on that, but that's really interesting. And yeah, because I plan on giving this another watch. So oh, absolutely, I'm definitely interested. I think if I if I pick up on that, like that'll be really cool. Yeah, this is definitely one I I want to give another watch. Uh, this was like the fourth movie I watched today, so at this at that by the point I was like, oh god. <laughs> mm. Um, well, let's go ahead and get into the abortion thing because that's I think a big conversation with this movie. Sure. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, the main character, uh, Jess, one of the big things with her is she re- discovers that she is pregnant but doesn't want the baby and wants to get an abortion, which angers her boyfriend. Um, And uh, because he wants the baby and, you know, he wants to marry her and all this. So Doolittle, how did you feel about how this was handled? Well, I think just talking about the historical context of it, um, this came right after, not right after, but like it was pretty like soon after like the Roe v. Wade um supreme court case um which kind of struck down a lot of um u.s federal and state abortion laws so this is like one of the like initial movies that come out like a year after um that um supreme court case happened so i think from a historical perspective it's it's interesting to see it and and to also see it as done as well as it was, because this is a character who is both liberated, um, you know, in uh, sexually for sure, and you know, we we end up rooting for this character as well, to which is very different from how we do slashers um, typically. Typically, we do the like, you know, if you're drinking or having sex, like you're gonna die, kind of a thing. Um, whereas here, it's a little bit more nuanced and. You know, we see that, like, she's overall just, like, like a decent person, you know, uh, and struggling with, like, a very difficult thing. So it's not as, like, cut and dry. Um, I, I, I think that they're, they're doing stuff with that that's a lot more uh, sophisticated uh, than you'd initially think for a film like this, especially around this time. Uh, I agree. So let me ask you this, because we basically end that subplot uh, with them arguing and him leaving angrily after she rejects his marriage proposal. 
Do you think it we should have gotten some kind of a better conclusion than leaving it open-ended like that? Or does leaving it open-ended like that do a better job of discussing this kind of issue? Um, I'm not so sure. Because... Yeah, I I yeah I uh, I never really thought about that because I think that maybe if I watch the movie again I'll have a better kind of determination of that. But I think that the way it like leaves off, um, you know, she I, I guess like the death of her boyfriend kind of um, uh, cements that she um, kind of is more than like the his kind of coercion in a way um that's that's kind of a way to read it for sure um and i think that ultimately by the end of the movie we i think that we sympathize enough with um Jess's situation um to the point where i'm not really sure if we needed like a like a like conclusion to that with her boyfriend i'm not i'm not sure I'd have to watch it again to to see, but I think overall that was handled pretty well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think it. I think it is because it, it's not like we're not drawing a big deal to it, and it's not what the movie is about. It's just something that is happening to this character while other things are are happening. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Because the Billy, I mean, you know, I I think that that kind of. Like the main thing is it's like a um murder mystery thing where they're trying to figure out stuff, but in the midst of that, there's this kind of like um intimate and personal um situation going on that's um perhaps like kind of like sensitive you know which which is an interesting way to to frame that um kind of uh, plot point absolutely well, and I guess. I'm going to take back what I said a little bit because I guess it is resolved by uh, Billy brutally murdering her, him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, Peter, I mean... People thinking Peter was the killer, too. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting. Do you think... with the Because the way this movie goes is, you know, they find Peter's body and believe he's the killer and they put Jess in, in a bed... Yeah. And leave her alone in the house with the cop standing outside. And then the, the killer's voice is heard from the attic, implying he's alive. Uh, and then it ends on a bo- shot of Claire and Mrs. McHenry as the telephone begins to ring. Do you think Peter was involved with this in any way or is it a frame job? No, I don't, I don't think Peter was involved in it. Um, I think that... Billy being alive at the end with the I think that's supposed to be like an ambiguity as to whether or not Jess will um will will, will die or not um after the film. So that's kind of like the open-ended thing um with it. Um but no, I I I, I never really thought about that. Um I'm surprised this never got a sequel cuz it made like 4 million. So uh, it's funny you mention that because um, Bob Clark joked, I think, with John Carpenter, because uh, John Carpenter was a huge fan of Hall. Um, no, jeez, oh, John Carpenter was a huge fan of uh, Black Christmas, and mm-hmm. he asked Bob Clark, "Hey, if you made a sequel to Black Christmas, what would it be called?" And he goes, "Oh, well, maybe it'd be like a year later." And he goes to um, 
you know, maybe he goes back to the sorority or something. And then I call it uh, Halloween. And then John Carpenter um, made Halloween, but I don't think that was a um that that well because because also um john carpenter's movie was called uh the babysitter murders so it definitely wasn't like a ripoff in any way i like that wasn't deliberate but um it is funny that um that that was a thing talked about or you know uh considered i'm not sure if it was a joking situation or not but that was a conversation and exchange that happened bob clark uh loves Halloween and, and is a fan of Carpenter. I, I that's think. that's fascinating. Um, that is really interesting. Yeah. So the last thing I do want to really talk about with the plot of this movie, because this is a very, as we say often with some of the best, you know, horror films, it's a very simple plot. Yeah. Um, but there is a scene where the killer alludes to some sort of transgression between two children named Agnes and Billy. Obviously, we know that the killer is named Billy, uh, although I don't think that's actually... Is that actually stated anywhere in the movie? I thought it was. I thought that he said um, something about uh, Billy when he was right by the, the woman sleeping, um, like right before like he like stabs her or something like that. Um, I could be wrong, though. I do know that in the... Uh, I think in the novelization, he's referred to as Billy and Bob Clark is referred to him as Billy. Okay. It could be misremembering stuff. That's possible. Cause I was also wondering if it was like a, like a Hellraiser thing where he's never called pinhead, but everyone just knows him as pinhead. Um, right. So he mentioned Agnes and Billy. Who do you think Agnes is? So one of the things I do know about the 2006 remake is Agnes is his sister, but I'm not sure if that is, um a thing in the movie um okay. like 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 in, in in this specific um film okay i'm, I'm not sure about that it, it, do you think that's the case i'm not sure i think it might be sibling but i part of the reason i asked about agnes is because she has a bigger deal in the remake uh and i'll go over that here in a minute because it's fucking insane oh okay <laughs> um john saxon is great in this movie uh he should have played a cop in any horror movie and i'd watch it sure yeah he, uh, he's pretty good here uh it's just nice seeing him pop up and stuff uh, let's see yeah he's fun so i did want to ask because we were chatting a little bit about this in our discord uh and you mentioned that there was a scene that you found particularly disturbing what were you referencing uh, to the scene he he's like screaming and yelling in the POV shot, and he's like throwing shit around, like that that for some reason made me like viscerally like ugh, like that is so nasty and so like, um, like it, it really that for some reason that really got under my skin because he's like wailing, mm-hmm. you know, like it's 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 very effective, um, you know. So you think this movie really did? Uh really was effective at least for you in the in certain parts oh absolutely yeah um, okay i th- i think i think that this movie does a really good job being legitimately scary even today um it just has some like pacing issues in the middle i think mm-hmm. um let's see i guess the last thing we should talk about before we move on to the remake a little bit 
and the the final score is I love the final twist that the calls are coming from the house. I always yeah. forget what movie that's from, uh, but it's great, great little twist. No, um, yeah, that that stuff is really good. I also you, like the way the way he kills people is like pretty eerie as well because of the you know he wraps them in like plastic you know what i mean i'm like you're just like oh my god <laughs> you know like it's so messed up mm-hmm. yeah yeah i agree um definitely one of the more deranged killers from the what i call the proto slasher era um yeah do you have anything else you want to discuss with this movie before i talk a little bit about the remake um, uh, I, I guess I'll say, uh, I feel like Billy is as scary as Buffalo Bill from, um, Silence of the Lambs, I think. I, th- I think that they're not, like, they're very different characters, but, like, um, they both kind of feel like real, like, serial killers, I think. Um, like, this guy has a very, like, you can tell that this guy has, like, a specific kind of, like, target with all that stuff, and, you know, um... And, and and has like some rationale, which is just very very scary. And Buffalo Bill kind of has that as well. So I put them kind of neck and neck in terms of like scariest serial killers in a movie. Yeah, I would agree with that. They're very disturbing for similar but different reasons. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so okay, so I'm going to talk a little bit about the remake because I found it interesting going back to this after having watched. Uh, the 2006 remake. Yep, with Ramona Flowers. In the yes. Movie. Uh, so this the it that was you know the mid 2000s when we were remaking a lot of stuff. Um, I like parts of what that movie do, especially after having watched that this one, because that movie is very stripped down compared to this one. It's just a bunch of sorority sisters in a cabin the whole movie. Um, they don't have any of like the police stuff or anything like that. They're in like this winter cabin or something and stuck there while they're getting these calls. The the mistake the movie makes, and I think this is what's going to make or break you for this movie is it gives a full backstory for Billy. Uh, Okay. That's, that's kind of unfortunate (laughs) just hearing you say that at all, but what what is the backstory? So not only do they go give him a backstory, it is one of the most disgusting, fucked up backstories I've seen in a while. So uh, in the remake, his name is William Billy Edward Lenz. And his backstory is that he was born with severe jaundice due to a liver disease and was physically and emotionally abused as a child by his mother. And his mother ends up murdering the father uh, along with her boyfriend, the mother later ends up raping Billy after she is unable to conceive a child with her boyfriend and gives birth to Billy's sister slash daughter, Agnes. Okay, that's the Agnes <laughs> connection. Uh, Billy later goes insane and murders his mother and her lover, disfigures Agnes before being caught sent to an insane asylum. Years later, he escaped and goes on a rampage with Agnes, so it's the two of them. At their old home, family home, which has been converted into a sorority house. Wow, <laughs> that's that's pretty out there. Jeez, um, 
I haven't seen the movie, so I'm not sure if I'm qualified to give like an opinion, but that sounds not really like the movie I saw, which had a really cool, um, uh, albeit very disturbing um, villain. Um, mm-hmm. That part of the reason why he's so scary is you can kind of project your, um, your, your kind of like, you know, fears onto this guy. So that's that's rough <laughs> to, to hear that that's how the remake uh, handled that. I agree overall. I like Billy better in this one, but I like how stripped down the remake is, where they they get rid of a lot of the stuff. Anything that doesn't have to do with like the sorority sisters is kind of cut, and of course because it was two thousand six, we had better kills. You didn't have to you know cut away. Um. Yeah. But I think I like both of them. But obviously, you know, the original is definitely better. I've um, heard that the um the the remake was um kind of reappraised a little bit by like Fangoria, which is interesting. Um mm-hmm. you know, uh that movie did not have a very good reception. Part of the reason why I didn't see it actually is because it got it had a pretty uh miserable kind of uh critical um, reception. I think even commercial reception. I don't think it did very well at the box office. It made twenty one million on a nine million dollar budget. So yeah, I mean oh. it, it. It probably it was probably made money, but not much. Okay, all right. Um, however, I do have to commend if there's one thing that I think would bring me back to this movie, maybe over the original, is the cast, because you got Katie Cassidy, Michelle Trachtenberg, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Um, and one of the actresses from the original. Oh, uh, Andrea Martin. Yeah. I think that's who it was. Oh, is she like, um, similar to like the older sorority woman in the first movie? Like, is she taking that roles over? She is kind of. But she's more, she's the older sibling of one of the sisters who comes oh. to check on her sister and just happens to get stuck in it. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. So um, that movie is, is kind of doing the early 2000s thing where if we remade a movie, we take the the basic premise, like in this one, you know, a bunch of sisters in a house, and do our own thing with it. Yeah. Um, I know that Lacey Chabert is in... Black Christmas, and she's the voice actress for um, Gwen Stacy in the Spectacular Spider-Man animated series, which is pretty cool. Oh, interesting. My she's also been in 27 one. Hallmark movies. Oh, okay. How embarrassing. <laughs> I don't know anything about that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Those never seem like my kind of things. Um, but, uh, yeah, and then I haven't seen the 2019 re- remake. Just everything about that seemed embarrassing. I I heard about it and I was like, I don't need to. I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I don't really need to see that if I don't want to. So I didn't really was, feel the need to. While I was uh, doing some research, uh, like trying to get pictures and stuff for thumbnails and shit, I found like this banner for the remake, the new remake, because we just we keep trying. Um. And the tagline is, slay, comma, girls. And I went, oh, my God. Oh. 
Okay. <laughs> so, the, so they're saying like Slay, like the um. Okay, because because uh, that's that's doing like a couple things at once. There's the Christmas sleigh, and then there is like sleigh, like oh, you know that's you know, I think there's mm-hmm. like you know it's like internet slang. Uh, a lot of people my age used that a couple years back. I'm not sure anymore though. Um, and then sleigh, because also you get slain when you get killed, and it's a slasher thing, right? So mm-hmm. it's probably doing three of those things and yeah yeah, you know whatever and it's rated (laughs) pg-13 so mm. that's unfortunate yeah that might also be part of why the 06 one's been reevaluated right if you don't like Mm -hmm. the the 2019 one you're gonna go back to maybe the 2006 one and be like oh this isn't as bad as i remember um because i do fully believe that a bad sequel or bad remake can make a bad previous movie look better. I think that's been done before. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I, for sure. Um, yeah, so I'm going to give this a three and a half, the, the original. Uh, I respect this movie, but yeah, it's not one I would willingly put on every year, like, say, Gremlins or something, which we'll be talking about later. Sure, yeah, and I probably <laughs> will not be talking about that much. Um, because I have not seen it, but, um, or no, I've seen it. I've just not recently. Um, but yeah, I'm going to give this a four out of five. Well, yeah. Cause I liked a lot of stuff about it. Just, um, the pacing kind of brings it down just like a bit. Oh, final thing I want to point out as well. Cause I fucking love this since we're talking about taglines. The picture I'm using for the actual video is the cover of the movie, and apparently the tagline is, if this movie doesn't make your skin crawl, it's on too tight. <laughs> Man, they're, not, they're not wrong. Uh, there is some stuff in this movie that definitely made my skin crawl and also made me jump out of my seat. So that was pretty impressive. Absolutely. Well, Doolittle, uh, I appreciate you hanging out and talking this movie with me. I'm not yeah. sure what we'll be doing next week, but... Later, we'll be recording a Gremlins review. We're just waiting for the late ghost. And uh, thanks for hanging out, man. Absolutely. Take care. Yeah.